What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. As marijuana has been legalized in more states, the taboo around consuming cannabis products has largely faded. But one area where it hasn't is parents who smoke. Some parents say that using cannabis helps them to relax and be more present to connect with their kids, but feel they will be judged if they speak openly about it. For more on the parents that get stoned, we'll speak to Ellen McCarthy, feature writer at The Washington Post. It was really hard to even get anybody to talk to me for this story. It was a a challenging story to report because so few people were willing to publicly admit that they consume cannabis and also are parents. Which is crazy, right? Because we know that now in America today, according to a recent Gallup poll, more people are consuming marijuana than are smoking cigarettes. So it's pervasive. And also, there is something about being a parent that still makes it carry this stigma. And I think it has to do with the ramifications that parents can face in terms of Judgment from others, of course, like that's the basic one. But then there are some more concrete um, ramifications, like it might weigh against you in a custody battle or, um, you know, if your child and, and there's a dramatic rise in this happening, if your child, God forbid, gets into your stash of cannabis gummies and consumes the whole pack and ends up in the ER, you are very likely going to be reported to Child Protective Services. So there just are a number of ramifications for parents, which makes it a much dicier issue. So even though we know that parents are consuming cannabis in large numbers, it's still really tricky to talk about publicly. Definitely. And, you know, at the federal level, marijuana is still classified as a controlled substance. So, yeah, even if your state has legalized things, all these other things that you just mentioned right now, it could also make a huge impact. And we'll get to a little bit more on that in a bit, because you did speak to some lawyers and everything about some of those impacts. But back to why some of these parents continue to smoke. You know, I I love the way some of them rationalize it. You spoke to one uh, mom says, you know, she doesn't consider cannabis a drug. It's just a plant with the ability to make her more patient parent. But this is one of the things that we hear a lot, right? It uh, it calms you down and and helps you connect with the kids on on a different level somehow. 
I did hear from several parents who said it just can clear out the other things in my head. You hear what's going on at the back of my um, house. <laughs> right. You know, it can clear out the other worries so that they can, you know, really focus on the kid and really get down there and get in with them. You know, as one woman talked about, you know, she's much more patient with building that Lego tower, crashing it down and building it again, doing that again and again and not being distracted by, oh, I have 18 other things to do. And another woman talked about how some of her best times as a parent happen when, you know, she has maybe smoked a little bit of marijuana and crawled into her bed and her son will crawl in with her and she's just able to sort of be more present, less sort of worried about things that need to happen or have already happened. She just can kind of be there in that moment and be a little bit silly and a little bit looser. And it can be hard for parents to get in that headspace because parenting is so stressful. So that, so, so these parents have found that it's helpful in that regard. One of the other uh, funny moments, too, in the article and the people we spoke to, right, is, you know, you want to connect with other parents and find common ground and all of that. And it's really hard to be open about smoking marijuana, right, for all the reasons we've been talking about. But one of the parents you spoke to said she's not waving a Bob Marley flag at school. You know, she'll maybe go be in the park area and she if she smells maybe that telltale sign, she'll go around the parent and say something like, smells good, you know, just to try to yeah. make the connection and bridge that gap. <laughs> but so, yeah. you know, even making friends in that sense is, is, uh, is a tough thing to do. And you know, that woman's lonely. She's lonely for people who she can connect with and who share this sort of recreational habit. It's so much easier to find wine mom friends, right? Or beer dads at the local barbecue, but that's not her bag. She doesn't actually like to drink. And so um, she had lived in Colorado where it was easier for her to find other parents who um, consumed cannabis and they could sort of be together as families and as parents connecting on that level. And then she moved back to Indiana where it was just, you know, it's, it's still is sort of really <laughs> under cloak and dagger that she even right. can procure cannabis. And, and so she's really having a hard time sort of socially making those connections. It's just not something you can easily bring up at school, drop off and pick up. Uh, a little bit back to some of the real parental concerns, though. You did mention, you know, how some of this could play up in a custody battle or something. You know, obviously, if a kid gets into some edibles and something happens that way, that's obviously very, very bad. But on the other side of things, the legality of things, it could make a, a, an impact in custody battles. Although some of the lawyers you spoke to said, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal still on that side of things. The custody lawyer I spoke to, and, and she was in Montgomery County, Maryland, where it is legal, and so she was speaking from that perspective, said that she finds that judges are being much more tolerant of it now, that it, it doesn't sort of automatically cost somebody custody of their kids, but that it's a mark against them, you know, that it is viewed as a bad habit and that judges are looking at you and your habits and your well-being and the example that you're setting for your kids. So it sort of maybe isn't an automatic disqualifier, but it also like, you know, it yeah. might go on your permanent record, so to speak. <laughs> Ellen McCarthy, feature writer at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Ellen. Thanks so much for having me. In economic news, as prices continue to remain high due to inflation, the big question is, when will they come down? Unfortunately for some goods and services, when the prices go up, they tend to stay that way. These items are referred to as being sticky and can include things like the cost of a haircut, household furnishings, baby clothes, and alcohol. For more on what to know about sticky prices, we'll speak to Julia Carpenter, 
reporter at The Wall Street Journal. I was looking into this because I talked to so many people who are having trouble setting their budgets right now. There are people who feel like they're good budgeters. They feel like they can adapt. They can make substitutions. They can roll with the punches. But they're noticing that certain parts of their budget are just more inflexible than ever before. And it's it's taking them by surprise. The Atlanta Fed measures a sticky price consumer price index. So when I was looking at that to try to better understand what sticky inflation is, what sticky prices is, I was immediately struck that that sticky price consumer price index is up 6.1% year over year, which means that even though we've seen a slight decrease in inflation, we had those numbers come out a little while ago and everybody was very happy to see that, sticky prices are still high and they're less likely to change because sticky prices, the reason they get their name is that when they go up, they have a much harder time coming down. And so what kind of things, uh, goods and services are we looking at when we're talking about sticky prices? You mentioned in the article, haircuts could be one of them. They've risen 4.4% from a year ago. Car repairs are up 11%. I just, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, got a uh, text from my barber saying, oh, you know, the new price of the haircut actually has gone up. It's in line with what other barbers are doing, you know, in this area and everything. And I was like, you know, obviously you're going to still pay it and all that. But I was like, wow, okay. So yeah, everything is going up. So haircuts is one of these. But what, what else are we looking at? It's a lot of things like durable goods and service-based goods. And what I mean by that are it's things like appliances, some of the bigger ticket items like vehicles. But it's also things like haircuts, again, being a great example, where wages have gone up. Wages are sticky. They've gone up. They have a much harder time coming down. So something that requires wages like car repairs, like haircuts, like a lot of personal care services, spa treatments, or these other things that we consider to be personal care services, they all are going up too, and they will come down much more slowly as a result. I've noticed that even in the restaurant industry, too, you know, prices of some dishes have gone up and man, those they don't go back down. Right. That's like the new set bar for those prices of certain things like that. We're also uh, looking at that Atlanta's Fed's sticky list, baby clothes, alcohol, education, public transportation, medical care, you know, very important things. All of that tends to stay higher. And, And when we're looking at time frames, how long can they remain at those elevated prices? So something is considered sticky by the Atlanta Fed when it takes more than four months to change in price. And that's not decrease in price, that's change in price. So we we can expect to see four months or more of these prices staying high. But the other thing that I will point out is that when I was speaking with Brent Meyer, an economist at the Atlanta Fed, he really wanted to make this point. And I don't want to say it's scary, but it's definitely something that consumers need to keep in mind, which is that these prices have been much more volatile. So sticky prices in the past would slowly rise over time. But since the pandemic, we've seen them increase much more sharply and change price much more quickly, again, always going up. So just definitely something to keep in mind. When we talk about, you made mention in the article too, kind of Figuring out the different pieces of the budgeting puzzle, the immediate things happen right away. You get substitutions to your favorite brands. You start looking for deals and other discounts. You shop around much more, right? Looking for those low prices. But these sticky prices, these sticky items really make it tough, you know, as you mentioned, trying to budget for the future because you don't know how long it's going to stay that way. And a frustration I hear from consumers a lot is that they've already made a lot of the changes that they can make, especially for consumers who make less money. You know, they've already done without when they can do without. They've already made substitutions. They've already shopped for deals. They're kind of throwing up their hands and saying, what else can I do to handle this? Julia Carpenter, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? 
it's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally for this week, Uber has a courier service called Uber Connect, where you can have a package picked up at one location and delivered to another. Drivers don't know what's inside the package, but some suspect they may be being used to transport drugs and other prohibited items. Some drivers feel compelled to go through with the suspicious deliveries for safety concerns, since customers often have their first name, photo, and license plate. For more on why some drivers are worried they're being used as drug mules, we'll speak to David Ingram, tech reporter at NBC News. What I heard speaking to drivers for Uber is really that they're concerned about their safety. So oftentimes they'll drive for multiple apps or multiple services. They'll do passenger rides. And then they'll also, they'll also do what's known as Uber Connect. And they will get what they consider to be suspicious requests. So I spoke with one person who was driving for Uber Connect in Arizona. They said they got a request from a customer in order to deliver a package from one motel to another motel at 1 a.m. Okay, red flag uh, one. <laughs> they thought that was suspicious. Yeah, it, yeah, one and one and two, really. And <laughs> they dropped off the package. It didn't seem like there was much in it. And they dropped it off to somebody who appeared really nervous. And they decided, you know, based on that and some other factors, they decided to stop driving first for Uber Connect and then for Uber altogether. So these drivers all have kind of wild stories about the kinds of things they're being asked to deliver at the times of day. You know, one person said that they had a DVD, a single DVD case they were asked to deliver, and it was a Nicolas Cage film. And when the driver shook the case, it seemed to have something in it other than a DVD. So Uber rules prevent them from tampering or opening packages. But clearly, Oscar, their their suspicions are are heightened. And in that first example that you were talking about in Arizona, so it was just a plastic bag that they were delivering with a pen, some candy, and a box about the size of two decks of cards that was covered in an excessive amount of tape. So, I mean, these are those uh, telltale signs of it could be something pretty bad in there. And, and as you mentioned, Uber says you shouldn't be opening the packages or tampering with the packages. It reminds me of the uh, transporter movies with Jason Statham, where, you know, one of the rules is never open the package. You're not supposed to do that. But for a lot of these drivers, that curiosity takes over. You get that sense of like, man, there could be something not right in there. And sometimes they try to look, sometimes they don't. You know, I know a lot of them follow the rules, but we also know that some don't. Yeah, I spoke to one driver in Miami who said that, you know, look, the curiosity just bites her. She wants to know what's in the package. And so she said she had found cannabis as well as Adderall. And, you know, she knew she was breaking sort of Uber policy, but 
the phrase that she used was that she thought she was basically being used as a as a drug mule, uh, which is a common phrase in, uh, for a drug trafficker who's sort of coerced into, into doing that. And she just wanted to know, like, if, if I'm muling, I, what am I going to be muling for? And, you know, these drivers say that they're not paid enough to be hauling around drugs and taking on that risk, whether it's uh, a risk of arrest, uh, whether it's a safety issue. And they feel coerced into making these deliveries because, you know, they could go to the police, but then, and some have done that, of course, but they also say that they're fearful of doing so because by the time they pick up the package and know that it's suspicious from their standpoint, the customer who's handing them the package already has their first name, at least, the make and model of their car, the license plate number, you know, other factors that are given Uber customers. So it works just just like the regular passenger app. So yeah, they give you a lot of information, identifying information. So you connect with the right person. And yeah, they have that. You can track how the delivery is being made. Also, you know, if you go to the Uber Connect website, that's one of the big selling points that you can track in real time how your package is getting there. So these people, you know, if they're sending using the the service for nefarious needs, right, they know when you're going off track. So yeah, a big safety concern for those drivers. And a financial concern too, right? Because some of the drivers were saying, you know, if you keep canceling deliveries or, you know, you get there, you cancel it, whatever it may be, that uh, you can be penalized and you can be dropped from the app, Mm -hmm. all, all that stuff. So there's a lot of different concerns floating around. That's right. Yeah. So now Uber, uh, of course, is not the first package delivery service to face this issue. This has been around as long as any package delivery service, really. I mean, UPS and FedEx have dealt with similar issues. U.S. Postal Service continues to deal with these issues all the time. And so in a sense, Uber is just joining a club here. But the drivers also say that they would like to like Uber to, to take steps to ensure their safety. So uh, drivers, of course, go through background checks. They would like maybe customers who use the service to go through background checks or maybe to limit it to businesses sending packages to customers or to other businesses. So as it stands, this service, you know, anybody can use it to send a packages to anybody else. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it, there's, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are some safeguards. So I spoke with Uber, people from Uber and, and, you know, their corporate headquarters says that, look, we, you know, we require the customers to check a box on the app that they understand what the rules are. They understand that they're going to not send prohibited items. There's a list of prohibited items. They have teams at Uber who are former law enforcement people who can look into these reports. Uber says they've gotten six requests from law enforcement to help to look into potential drugs on the service. But the drivers that I spoke to said that these precautions the company takes aren't enough for them. Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, as far as from uh, the reporting, right, and what Uber was saying, you know, if somebody is caught in violation of this stuff, really the worst that happens is they get removed from the app. You can't really use it much more anymore. Uh, I mean, if they take it through uh, law enforcement and something progresses that way, that's a different thing. But for Uber, they'll just kick you off the app. So, I mean, that's that's a tough one there to swallow. And then some of the drivers have also said that they feel the support system for reporting suspicious stuff uh, doesn't uh, really live up to it. Um, you know, one guy in particular said he was transferred 27 times when he was trying to flag something. And, uh, you know, people yeah. on the other side of things just didn't know what to do. Like, they didn't know how to approach the situation. They didn't. It's it's um, the people who are answering the phones for support for Uber. You know, they're not the highest paid employees at Uber, of course. And Uber has acknowledged that, in fact, that, that in some instances, the, the people who 
work on their support teams have fallen down, have not met the expectations of the company to help drivers through these kind of sticky situations. You know, these are complicated situations. Asking someone who thinks they're in possession of drugs, should they go to law enforcement to think about their own safety? And, you know, law enforcement may or may not be interested. I did hear from a driver who said that that they were turned away by law enforcement because this is the what the customer, what the driver considered to be suspicious, didn't meet their level of being able to open the package. So there, there's there's that fear too. You know, what if no one listens? You know, what if uh, what if law enforcement um, decides to charge the driver? That may be yeah. unlikely, but. Uh, drivers are afraid of that as well. Yeah, the, the liability question is huge. And for Uber, it seems like the liability for them is pretty low, right? I mean, they're just connecting clients to a driver, right? That's kind of what they were talking about uh, when they were uh, the whole discussion around our drivers employees or are they uh, just independent contractors, right? They're saying we're just a platform connecting people. So the liability for Uber, the platform could be pretty low, but for the driver, right, they can be mistaken as being part of a situation like that and, and they can still be charged. And, you know, they might have legal bills. Um, that, you know, there are all kinds of considerations there that they that they don't want to be a part of. Uh, there's an interesting sort of phrase that, that comes up in this context, which is the willful blindness. You know, even if the driver or Uber doesn't know directly that what's in the package is drugs. If they are willfully blind to the idea that the service is being used this way uh, repeatedly, then um, you know legal experts I spoke with said that that the company in particular could could be liable in that case. Um, the government may require Uber, demand that Uber take extra steps to prevent um, the service being used this way. That's to be determined. I did speak with someone from the. Drug Enforcement Administration, the federal agency that that um, would handle something like this, and and uh, they're not saying anything at the moment. They declined to comment, uh, but they're certainly aware of of our reporting, and and um, and they have looked at similar cases in the past involving FedEx and and yeah. UPS. So we'll see what comes of that. David Ingram, tech reporter at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Happy to do so. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 